Well, hey, I want to welcome you to Emmanuel. If you're catching us online or on the podcast later this week, maybe in your pajamas right now, we do encourage pants while you're watching us online. But hey, my name is Matt Randall, and Danny Anderson, our senior pastor, is out this week. I have the joy of leading the spiritual growth team around here, and I am very excited to be closing out the series here in week four of Unoffended. The question for you is, are you glad to be here this morning? Yeah? Come on, warm up for me, warm up for me. Hope you're caffeinated, hope you're warmed up and in here. Terrible weekend of weather, so I appreciate you coming out on spring break. Uh, Now, as we get started into uh, any series, we always like to recap just a little bit, show you where we've been before if you haven't been able to join us every week. And so we do that uh, this week as well. I want to show you a quote from Brant Hansen's book. It's called Unoffendable. Unoffendable. Sorry about that. Uh, We've been relying on it time to time throughout this series because it's great stuff if you struggle with being offended in this life. Here's what Brand Hansen says. He says, if we choose to be unoffendable, choose to be unoffendable and you'll flourish the way that God intends you to. And I would hope that all of us would wanna flourish the way that God intends us to, to be prepared and do well at working the ground that God has given us in this world. So that's what we've been working on this series, the idea that being unoffended in this world, not dominated by the latest thing in the news or the latest item on social media or the latest insult from a friend or family member or someone we don't even know, we choose to live an unoffendable life and we get to flourish the way that God intends us to. You see, we've said some things consistently throughout this series about what an offended life looks like, a life that is dominated by the latest defense of the day or being constantly frustrated or upset with the way that the world treats us. And we said some things in particular that I wanna make sure we all hear today. One of which is, is that it very easily leads to exhaustion. In the first week of our series, we just said it wears you out. The idea that we can't handle anger, only God can handle anger. And so it's our job to let him do his job. Secondly, Secondly, is that it very simply causes us to do some foolish things. You see, we end up feeling things we shouldn't feel, and we end up doing things that we shouldn't do. And the Bible has a great word for that. It's called foolishness. Thirdly, we've also talked about the idea that it can damage our relationships. You see, the closest relationships we have, and even those, uh, those around our circle of influence, can be damaged if we constantly live an offended life. And lastly, it just simply distracts us. Being offended distracts us from the things and the people that God wants us to do and influence in this world. And we're going to cap off this series today, I hope, hope for you in an exciting way. Uh, but I want to make sure that I uh, give a note really quickly. For those of you in our crowd or watching online, I want you to know that if you do not call yourselves a Christian or a Jesus follower or a church person by nature, if that is you and you would not call yourself a Christian, I just want you to know that I'm glad you're here and you, per- you picked a perfect weekend to join us at Emmanuel. Because some of the things that I'm going to say today, you're probably going to want to nod your head at. Some of the things I'll say, you'll probably want to uh, be saying in your mind, hopefully out loud gets a little weird. But if you, uh, in your mind, you're going to be saying, that's what I've been trying to say for years. You see, Christians, listen, I've been trying to tell you this time and time and time again. That's why I'm not engaged in a local church. That's why uh, I've never accepted that invitation. Or I accepted the invitation out of guilt. I'm only here one time, so get over it. But you see, for those of us that call ourselves Christians, followers of Jesus, some things I have to say today might rub some rough edges off of you a little bit. You might find yourself tempted to be offended. So put those previous three weeks into practice for me today. Some of the things might, uh, might cause you to maybe even not want to come back. But here's my promise to you. 
Here's my promise. If you go home this weekend and you pull out that B-I-B-L-E, that Bible of yours, I promise you that the words of Jesus, the words of his disciples, and the apostles that would follow have a lot to say about what we're talking about today. So I'll encourage you to do that and take this stuff and grow in your small groups with it this week. So let's get going, right? All right, week four, let's close this series out. Now, I got to start with a little bit of confession, if that's okay with you guys. We do that often around here because... Uh, I'm messing all this up just as much as you are. And I got to tell you that when Danny asked me uh, to close out the series, uh, there was like an overwhelming flood of guilt because I really struggle with this uh, because some of you may know I spent some time in politics before coming to ministry. And in particular, the last 10 years of my career, prior to jumping into uh, uh, on staff here at Emmanuel, I worked in politics in one way or the other. And you see, that doesn't necessarily make me smarter than the average bear. Some of you are just now realizing why I sound less smart. But you see, working in politics, all it does is just give me certain knowledge or some experience and maybe things that the average person doesn't know. And I got to be honest with you, this last political season and even the season that we're still sitting in right now, boy, am I putting this unoffended stuff to work. Because I want to show you this morning the tweet that never happened. Here is the tweet that never happened from my Twitter handle, MattRandall22. Go follow me. Thanks. So, it very simply says, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. You see, if I'm honest, I got lots of friends on my Facebook feed and I got lots of people that I follow on Twitter. Some of you, if I'm super honest, that I really wanted to tell you that you had no idea what you were talking about, but I didn't. And the reason that I didn't, we're gonna get into today. But, 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 but be thankful that I didn't tweet this at you. But secondly, here's the triple decker honest moment. After this election season and even still right now today, 10 years in politics doesn't mean I have any clue what's going on in politics today. So I had no better clue than you did, and so I'm very glad that I'm not a hypocrite now. But even though I've, now that I've shown you this, I guess, I guess, well, I don't have a, an out now. So, but this tweet never happened for a very, very good reason, and I want to talk about that reason today. You see, I think those of us that call ourselves Christians in this culture today, we have a hard time living an unoffended life. And when we do that, I think some of us actually justify it. I think some of us almost feel like it's our obligation. Well, to be honest with you, I think it's our obligation to be referees of this world. You see, sometimes we feel justified or vindicated or obligated to, to speak up for whatever cause it is or against that issue or that particular person that offends us or some uh, policy in our government or some action. Or thing. We, actually, we actually find it our responsibility to pick up our whistle and blow it. And that's why the first fill-in in your notes this, week's, this week is very simply Christians, referees of the world. Now, I'd love to tell you that this is no big deal, but I can't. And so I want to show you the first experience where this was real for me. The first experience in my life where I realized that some Christians, some of us have a hard time not seeing ourselves as referees of the world. Now, I'm going to warn you for a second. I'm going to show you a picture and you're willing. I just want to give you license to react however you want. And it doesn't, if it does not make sense to you, I will explain it, I promise. But here's what I want to show you today from my first experience at Christians, referees of the world. Here it is. Some of you are laughing awkwardly right now. I'd like to introduce you to the Teletubbies. Supposedly they're uh, undergoing a resurgence. Uh, but uh, here's the deal. This is the Teletubbies. They were, a, uh, they were part of a television show aimed at preschoolers and under. I have no idea what they were all about other than I think that they taught some children how to clean up once in a while. But what I would like to point you to today 
is that in the mid-1990s, I was a teenager trying to understand what it means to be a Christian in this world, and all of a sudden, I became keenly aware of Tinky Winky. <laughs> you see, Tinky Winky's the one on the left. He's the purple one, and he carries a red bag, and supposedly it's magic. So he carries a red magic bag. I have no idea what kind of magic happens in there. But here's the deal. As a teenager, I saw a big group of influential Christians in this culture plant their flag against the Teletubbies. And what they were doing is planting all the anxiety, all the frustration, all of the, the wrong that they had uh, in their hearts about the way in which certain things were being talked about, in particular, sexuality in our culture. They had planted that flag against the Teletubbies on behalf of Jesus. Now, I got to tell you, as a teenager, this made absolutely zero sense to me. And even today, I don't really get it. You see, they assumed that this one on the left was a boy, and they assumed that that was a purse, and so therefore it would be confusing children about the idea of sexuality. And oh, by the way, if we allowed our children to watch it, well, God knows what could happen to them later in life. You see, that's funny to you, awkward to you. Uh, I don't know if you were part of the Teletubbies boycott club back in the 90s. But here's the deal. I realize this matters. I realize that, that the way that we interact with our culture actually matters as Christians. And you see, I don't have to go too far into our right now to throw up some examples that might make sense to you more in pop culture. I don't know if you're aware right now, but there's an ongoing boycott of the movie Beauty and the Beast from the Disney Company. There are influential folks in our society uh, who believe that uh, no one should allow their families to watch the Beauty and the Beast movie because of the actions of one particular character and one scene of the movie. There are also, I learned this the other day, that uh, there are lots of Christians that are upset because the beast looks a little bit like Satan. Again, I don't know what that's all about, but, but here's the idea. And, and maybe I'm, I'm throwing away my opportunity to ever receive an invitation from the Christian Boycott of the Month Club. But you see, I don't, I don't think it's healthy for us. I don't think it's healthy for us as Christians to ignore the idea of how we're viewed in this society. And I would like to tell you today and show you a little bit of why I think that this idea is a problem. I think that us living as referees of this world, quick to speak out about what we're offended by, and in particular, the people and the stuff that's out there that might feel distant to you, but I'm here to tell you today that those actions of offense, they have a lot bigger impact than you know. And I wanna show you a couple statistics in your notes today. From the book Unchristian, written by David Kinneman, We've referenced this book from our stage before, and, and basically just to give you a breakdown is that this book was written as a result of a study in the late 2000s. Uh, it was a study of 18 to 29-year-olds. I'm dating myself, but I would have been one of them. But uh, the study uh, broke down, here's what it, basically here's what it did. It took uh, the things that Christians say, the things that Christians do, and then asked uh, non-Christians, those people that were not believers in Jesus, what they thought about Christians. And so this book was written to help us understand the data that they learned. And when they asked the next generation, as I'll call it today, the next generation of people that we would love to be sitting next to us in church, here's what they said about Christianity. They said, Christianity is judgmental. 87% of those surveyed said that Christianity was judgmental. And you know what? 85% of those folks said it was hypocritical. Literally that Christians as a whole, not individuals, but as a whole, say one thing and do it do a completely different thing. I'll go on to tell you, and it might relate to the tweet that never happened, 75% of those folks surveyed said the Christians are too involved in politics. 72% said that we're out of touch with reality. And 70% of people surveyed in that bracket said that Christianity, Christians, you and me together as a big C church, are insensitive 
to other people as our nature. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd like to ask you a simple question. Are you okay with this? Are you okay with the people that we would like to love for Jesus think this way about Christianity, about Jesus as a whole? Well, I got to tell you, I'm not. And today I want to talk about how we can do little things to help make a big impact on the way our world sees Christians today. So it leads us to number one in your notes today, which very simply is we got to put down the whistle. We got to take off and put down our whistle. Now, I know some of you right now are arguing with me in your mind. And here's what you're probably saying to yourself. But Matt, come on. Seriously? Like, I can't say anything? Listen, listen. The Bible says, the Bible, hey, 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 the Bible says this about money. Hey, the Bible says this about parenting. Get those kids in shape. Hey, the Bible says this about sexuality. What are you doing? Hey, the Bible says this about marriage and divorce. Yeah, okay. I'm gonna agree with you. The Bible says a lot about those things. And it spends a lot of time talking about how one Christian should treat another as believers in Jesus. And yet I know that there's some of you right now that are thinking, hey, Matt, listen, okay, does that mean that, that if I don't say something, I'm, just, I'm practically agreeing with him. If I don't speak out boldly and plant my flag against the things that I see in this culture as a whole, I'm, I'm, I'm just no one. I'm, I'm just being the person that agrees with what's going on. Well, that's not exactly what I'm saying today. And to make that point, I would love to have an amen moment as a church. Now, listen, I don't know how long you've been around here, what faith background you come from, because we got wide open doors around here. So no matter where you come from, you're welcome here at Emmanuel. And some of you may have had a church experience before where it was totally common for the crowd to have an ongoing conversation with the pastor as he's talking from the stage. So it's something like, mm -hmm, get it, pastor. Yep, keep talking. That's right. They need to hear that. That's okay. That's okay. Some of you, it's a little simpler than that. Every once in a while, the men and the ladies in the crowd will go, mm, amen. And yet some of us, maybe this is more common for us at Emmanuel around here, we're a little quieter at our campuses. And so maybe you hear something from the stage that you agree with and, and you really want to clap, but you're not sure if you can. And so you don't, but then it never fails. The guy on the end of the aisle is like, yeah. And then you feel guilty. So then you're clapping along because you want to make sure everybody knows that you agree with what was just said. <laughs> so here it is, guys. We're going to have a full license for an amen moment. However way you feel like you agree with the next statement, you can do so. If you're listening to us online or in your car later this week, uh, you do have license to be weird in your car. Everyone needs Jesus. Everyone needs Jesus. Can I get an amen? Thank you, church. We went old school there for a second. I got a cold chill thinking about it. It's probably the Holy Spirit. Now, see, I know we're laughing a little bit, but here's what I want to ask you today. If this is true, and those of us that call ourselves Christians, if this statement is true to us in our hearts, which I hope it would be, or we're kind of ignoring the whole Great Commission and the whole, practically everything Jesus told us to do in the world. But if we agree with this statement, shouldn't we view every interaction that we have with the people around us and in this world through this lens? The unoffended life is a life that views everyone through this lens that everyone needs Jesus, a simple thing we can all agree with. And you see, this particular idea is something that my friend Jamie Snyder wrote about. It's not often I can say my friend wrote a book uh, other than our friend Sherry here, uh, but uh, my friend Jamie Snyder wrote a book. Uh, he's a pastor that I did some ministry work back with in college. Uh, we were at a small church just south of here, and now he leads a, uh, 
a multi-site church in northern Kentucky. If you know some friends around the Cincinnati area, give me a call later. But Jamie writes about this idea in his book, Thou Shall. And in particular, it's a book about ripping away those thou shall nots and making sure that we understand what our role really is in this culture. And here's what he says. He says, generally speaking, we as the church tend to be quick to blow the whistle when our non-Christian neighbor or coworker or family member is wrapped up in sin. He goes on to say, now many Christians tend to gravitate towards judging the lives of people who don't even claim to be followers of Jesus. And in most cases, I think people do it with the very best of intentions. But you see, when we're dealing with someone who is living outside of a relationship with Jesus, our goal should not be to help him or her become a nicer person or a more morally upright person. Our goal is to lead that person into a relationship with Jesus. Now, we've given you the rest of this quote in your notes this week, because this is what I want you to see. This is what Jamie says. He says, when we lose sight of our end goal, instead of focusing on keeping, uh, instead focusing on keeping the moral score for people outside the church, we're just making sure that hell is full of really well-behaved people. Now I want you to think about that for a second. Because you see, those of us that are Christians, sometimes we have a critical eye of the way we see things in this culture. And that's okay. We should have a critical eye on the things that are going on in the world. None of us should be quiet all the time. But the point is, is that are we really making sure hell's full of really well-behaved people? Or, and I'm glad there's a but in my friend Jamie's book, here's what the but says. But when we focus on loving people into a relationship with Jesus, we're making sure that heaven is filled to capacity. You see, that's our role. And in particular, how we view our role in the way we interact with people that are outside of a relationship with Jesus. And you see, we've put down the whistle when we choose this response, when we choose this attitude. And in particular about the idea of attitude, I want to encourage you for a second. I've told you that we need to put down the whistle, but I'm here to tell you that we have to pick something up in its place. And the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the church at Colossae, in the book of Colossians, says this in chapter 3 about what we're to put on. Here's what he says. He says, clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. He goes on to say, make allowance for each other's faults. You've heard that from our stage before. And forgive anyone who, say it with me, offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. He sets the standard for all of us. So you must forgive others. And above all, clothe yourselves with love. You see, the Apostle Paul is saying something that I think is important. Because when we put down our whistle, we put on something in its place. And I want to show you what we're doing. We get to put on what Paul talked about. Tender-hearted mercy. We get to put on kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And at at the end of the day, that looks a lot like the attitudes of a guy I know named Jesus. You see, when we remove ourselves as referees of this society and we pick up the attitudes of Jesus, you know what we do by default? By default, automatically, we as Christians choose something intentionally. It's in your notes this week. Number two, we choose influence over being offended. We get to choose influence over being offended. 
This idea is talked about in Brant Hans's book. Here's what he says about this choice. He says this. He says, when we choose ahead of time, before conversations, before meetings, before the day begins, to be unoffendable, we're simply choosing humility. You see, when we choose before a conversation we know is going to be difficult with our spouse, or when our spouse walks in having a hard day at work, my spouse gets to try to wrangle uh, first through third graders in any given day. So when she walks in and is a little, a little short from the day, I get to choose how I respond there. Am I going to be offended or am I not going to be offended? Before a meeting with a coworker that's only out to get the raise and get the next promotion and is willing to step on anyone along the way, what do you choose? You choose a quick spirit of offense or do you choose humility? Before our day even begins, did you know that three, four, five minutes with that B-I-B-L-E of yours can dictate how you respond to this day? It's choosing humility. And in fact, this idea of humility is something that just struck me as we were talking about, Dan and I were wrestling with the idea of this talk. And, and I, believe, I believe something strongly, and we put it in your notes this week on purpose. Because you see, I believe that a defining characteristic of a Jesus follower in this culture today is humility. I believe that Jesus followers and Christians are doing their best to get this right from day to day. A defining characteristic of those people is humility. And for a second, take a journey with me, okay? To further make this point, for those of you that call yourselves Christians, there was a moment in your life in which you decided to trust Jesus with your life. And if all of us are honest enough, we're all really struggling at trying to get just a little bit better every day around here, right? But I want you to think about that time in your life when you came to Jesus for the first time. Think about the people that were surrounding you there. Think about the environments that you happen to be around. And here's my question to you. Were you judged into a relationship with Jesus? Or were you drawn into a relationship with Jesus? Were the people around you quick to point at you and blow the whistle and call the foul on the things that were wrong in your life? Or were they quick to provide humility and patience and a tender heart? And hopefully a little bit of humility that just said, mm, yeah, yeah, it's about Jesus. I'm messing that up, but it's about Jesus. You see, because I think if we're honest, those people that surrounded us, and whether you accepted Jesus last week here at Emmanuel, or you've been a Jesus follower and a Christian for a long, long time, I can still remember those people. I can still remember the attitudes that they wore on the outside. And I can remember Jim and Marisa and Ashton and so many others that looked a lot more like that than with a whistle in their hands. And you see, this idea about how we interact with people who don't believe in Jesus, believe it or not, God has a lot to say about that. And the Apostle Paul, in the very next chapter in Colossians, tells us very directly about how we should live among those who don't claim to be followers of Jesus. Here's what he says. He says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be, say it with me, gracious and attractive. Maybe you could say humble or filled with humility. He goes on to say this. He says, so that you will have the right response for everyone. 
You see, when we start living this unoffended life and we start to make little differences day to day to day, and we're not defined by the latest offense of what's going on in the culture or in politics or in the local, uh, in your kid's soccer team or whatever it is, you start to look weird to people. That's right. You start to look a little bit different and people notice. And when they notice, I want to tell you what's important. And it's number three in your notes. We have to be ready with an answer. You got to be ready with an answer. We've joked around here at Emmanuel that, yeah, we're all trying to be a little bit weird, right? Because we're trying to live this life a little differently because Jesus has a, a different way to say things about the way we should live this life. And when we do that, we get a little bit weird. Now, we always encourage you, don't get too weird, okay? <laughs> take, take a chill pill sometimes, don't get too weird. But when people start to look at us, they're going to be looking at us for a source for why we're different. And in Brent Hansen's book, towards the end of the book, there's a great story. He makes this statement, which makes this a little more even clearer for you guys. He says, in this culture, if you live a restful life, if you live a peaceful life, if you live a life without offense, if you live an unoffended life, you'll freak people out. You'll just freak them out. Because you become different according to this culture. And when we become different, our answer matters. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, that Peter that walked alongside Jesus, that Peter who told Jesus, I'm never going to leave you. The Peter that then did deny Jesus three times before the next morning, but then the Peter who the church was built on says this about this idea. He says, worship Christ as Lord of your life. Put Jesus at the top. Let him govern everything about your life. And when you do that, if someone asks about your hope as a believer, Say it with me. Always be ready to explain it. But do it in a gentle and respectful way. You see, the answer that we provide in our hearts, but also out loud, matters to people that don't consider themselves followers of Jesus. And when we do that by trying a little bit day by day to live an unoffended life, we try to do it little by little, living just a little bit more like Jesus day to day, we can look at the people around us and simply admit Something like, well, yeah, I know I'm, I'm a little bit different at work. I get, yeah, I get it. I know. I know it's weird, but I'm just trying to little, live a little bit more like Jesus. Yeah, this church stuff's really working, man. Yeah, I know I've been talking about how my marriage has been terrible for a long time, but it's actually in a, the best place it's ever been. We're just trying to plug what God says about marriage in. Yeah, I know it's weird, but man, it's working. You see, your answer is the difference between an invitation being accepted for Easter or not. Your answer is the difference between whether that coworker feels comfortable to come down a couple of offices and ask if you've got a couple minutes, sits down and tells you about her daughter's incurable disease and just wants to ask if there's a prayer that you could have for them. Your answer matters. So for those of us who call ourselves Christians, I just want to ask you very simply, would you like to change the world? Would you like to change the patch of ground that God has given you to work? Because if you plug the ideas that we've talked about in these three weeks and this fourth week of this series, I promise you, you'll get weird. I promise you that you'll get noticed by those people around you. And when you do, if you can point a little bit towards Jesus, that goes a long way to whether someone's sitting next to you in the next few weeks or not. I'd love for us as a church, but if you, every single one of us, 
to be known as that person among our friends that is not offended when the latest thing comes around. That's that friend who's always late, who always bails, who everybody's always mad at. I'd love for you to be the friend that is cool with that. It's fine. It's fine. It doesn't bother me. I'd love for you to plug this into your marriage so that your marriage looks weird to every other marriage around you so that you can start impacting the lives of people that maybe you don't even know yet. Because you see, all these ideas we've talked about, when they're plugged in, have a far greater impact than you will ever know. And those statistics that I showed you, they can change. They can change if enough of us get together and decide to do this right. So I want to challenge you this week. Jump into your small groups, dig into these ideas, because it will make a difference. And for those of you who I talked to at the, at the beginning of our talk today, and I said, hey, if you don't call yourself a Christian, hopefully you did some head nodding along the way. But you might be here today and, and be thinking, you know, yeah, uh, I've had Christians in my life that have made me feel that way. You know, this Jesus thing, yeah, there's some practical things I can soak up and put into my life and, and kind of do that from the periphery and be okay. Or, or maybe you're here today and, and you've been hurt by somebody that would call themselves a Christian. Maybe you think that this Jesus thing, that our God is, is a God who's judgmental, who points down at you and points out all the wrongs in your life. Maybe you think that the God is, that the Jesus that we worship is someone who sits on high and, is, and that you're too far gone and too far removed to come to. You see, if you feel that way today, that's not your fault. And that certainly isn't the Jesus that we want you to know. The reason that you feel that way is our fault. It's my fault. And so if you're within earshot of my words today, I just want to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you've gotten that picture before in your life. Because you see, we around here, we believe that we don't have it all together all the time, if we're honest enough to admit it. But if you want to reach out to Jesus for the first time, that Jesus that reaches to the untouchable of the untouchables and touches them and heals them, the Jesus that says, you are never too far gone from what I did for you. I want to offer you that opportunity today. And so we offer time around here that, that it's just as simple as a conversation, a prayer, a quick prayer to God, to open up your heart, to let Jesus come in and help show you how to live this life. So if that's you today, I'm going to pray a prayer. And I always say that, that my words aren't magic. But if you're struggling for the words to say, I offer mine, you can take them and put them into your own and just lift those to Jesus today. Get to know the Jesus that we want you to know. Pray with me if that's you. Lord, we come to you today and, and I just, I'm broken. I'm a broken person that every single day I get to see a little bit more about how I need you. And so today, Lord, I just, I reach out. I know that you're the Jesus that heals. I know that, uh, that heals broken hearts. I know that you're the Jesus that touches the untouchable. And, and no matter what I've done in my life, I know that, that you paid for it. So Jesus, I reach out to you today and I just ask to invade my heart, invade my life. Help me step by step live a life that looks a little more like you each day from now on. I commit my heart and my life to you Help me as I begin this journey with you. It's in your name, Jesus, that I pray. Amen. You see, if you, 
If you pray a prayer to Jesus and ask him into your heart, and if you've done that today, you see, we're, not, we're just not okay leaving you there. We don't believe that, that you can pray that prayer and all of a sudden every problem you've ever experienced goes away. And so we wanna make sure that you get your journey started on the right foot. To do that, we just wanna put a Bible in your hands. It's just a one new New Testament. And when I talked about reading the Bible three, four, five minutes a day, this is the New Testament that's broken down that way. And so if you, if you decided to reach out to Jesus today, I just ask that you'd be bold enough to, to go back to the tables in our auditorium in each corner and just chat with them. And when you do that, they're gonna put a Bible in your hands. And they're also gonna tell you about our four-week environment we call Starting Point. You see, Starting Point's just a, a conversational environment where if you've accepted Jesus now or in previous weeks, it's the best place for you to help get some of those questions out and working on them in your early steps in your faith. But for even those of us who've been around the faith a while and maybe we've still got some tough questions about what it means to, to live a little bit like Jesus or questions about the Bible we feel like we've never had answered. If you've got tough questions like that, it doesn't matter what place in your faith you come from, Starting Point's open to you too. And so you can chat with our folks at the Starting Point tables and, and get connected in our next round coming up in a few weeks. Guys, I'm excited that we get to challenge ourselves. I'm excited that we get to feel a little weird sometimes as Christians. And if I've made you uncomfortable today, I'm kind of sorry. Not really. Because every once in a while, we got to shake things up, right? This world just can't be left alone. If we never change and make a difference, those statistics I showed you will never become different. But I'm confident that we, in our little patch of ground, here at our Greenwood campus and in Franklin and on the south side of Indianapolis, if enough of us get together to do these things right, we literally will not be able to put enough seats in buildings to hold people that will wanna come and hear the message from the real Jesus that wants to change their lives. I'm glad to join you on that journey. So let's take this stuff and make an impact for Jesus in this world. You with me? You with me? Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today and, and Lord, we know that, that we have a standard in you that is amazing. And Lord, I wanna thank you for blessing us for each little step that we take towards you. And I also wanna thank you for the times in which we can just sit back and, and, and look critically at the way that we live in this world and, and understand that, hey, the world's a tough place, but we have the power to change that for you. And Lord, so this week, as we go into our homes and we go into our workplaces and into our schools, I just ask that you make boldly clear how we can live a little bit more unoffended, how we can show this world a little bit more of the real you, not the judgmental or critical one that, that sometimes is out there. So challenge us, Lord, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to get together, to dig into your word, to see what you have to say about these things. And it's in your name we pray, in the name of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior. Amen. Have a great week. Bring 33 friends for Easter. <laughs>